Okay, so today I'm really happy to welcome on the show Grace Kwan, aka Ori, co-founder at Orca Dex and head of product. Welcome, Ori. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So Orca seeks to provide a simpler, more human-centered experience for swaps on Solana. Um, you're a big part of the Solana ecosystem and DeFi ecosystem. And you've been introducing some really interesting innovations, um, such as clams, concentrated liquidity, automated market makers, um, which are custom contracts specifically designed for Solana's virtual machine. And I believe that surpassed a billion dollars in transaction volume recently and went open source. I'm sure those numbers have already moved on. Um, and I want to talk to you both about what's going on in Solana but also more generally DeFi, especially post-Terra, you know, your views on, on what that means in a post-Terra world, but also go into your founder story, the origins of Orca. I know it was very much a bottom-up community initiative starting in various Twitter streams, replies, and, and subreddits. And I know you also recently wrote an op-ed on Coindesk published, What If Web3 Actually Needs to Be More Like Web2? Sounds controversial. I'm sure it's not. So hopefully we get time to talk through all of those things. But just very quickly, so the audience know who we're talking to, could you tell us a little bit about your background? I know you studied at Stanford and um, you were also an interaction designer at IDEO in Tokyo, um, but it'd be great to hear from the horse's mouth a little bit more about your you and your background and how you got here. Of course. Thank you again for having me. Uh, first of all, you know, I've never actually heard the term clams before for a I always think of it as CLAMM, but it feels very much in our, our marine theme. So, so love that. <laughs> uh, but, I just made it up. Well done. Well, I think it fits perfectly. So I might steal that, but, but going ahead. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about me and my background. So like you mentioned, uh, my background is actually originally more on like the engineering side, studied computer science at Stanford, did my master's there as well, studying both computer science and human computer interaction. And so I've really always spent my, my career kind of treading that line between engineering and design, trying to figure out not only how to build more robust and scalable systems, but also to how to ensure that those systems are actually solving real problems for real people. And so that's exactly the same kind of ethos that I try to bring to, to Web3 and to DeFi today. Very good. And I know uh, you also moonlight as a food writer, but we probably don't have time to talk about that right now. Um, <laughs> so so let, let's kind of, let's start at the top. You know, as I said, you, you've kind of been doing some interesting thought leadership at the moment. You touched on there a little bit, this kind of human-centered um, design, really kind of leading how you think about product and stuff. Um, can you maybe... Tell us a little bit about that op-ed you did recently um, and how that informs, you know, what you do as a co-founder at Orca. For sure. So that was actually a op-ed for Coindesk's Payments Week. And the whole concept was really about how to improve the, the payments experience in crypto through this touch of human-centered design. You know, I actually, when I first was exposed to the crypto space, I was actually just kind of shocked at 
how far behind I suppose the space felt compared to you know traditional Web two products. Although nobody was really saying Web two at the time, in terms of how they black box the underlying technology to cater to users, which you know I actually think is a good thing. Like not everyone needs to know every little aspect of technology in order to make good use out of it and for it to be useful in their lives. But in crypto, maybe because uh, the space is so driven by builders, quite often we get what I call technology first design, where, you know, pretty much the the UI that's exposed to users is like the simplest possible way to translate the underlying data structures into, you know, a, a UI that people can use. But this op-ed was really all about how to start from a human-centered design process, like actually talking to people, looking at what exists out there already in terms of like a simple payment system. For example, we, we have a lot of digital money systems, even where I am in Japan right now, where all you need to do is just tap your phone and then the payment is settled, right? There, there's no need to unlock a screen. There's no need to scan a QR code. And there's definitely no need to look up some kind of obscure address that you then need to double check by sending a test transaction to. So long story short, crypto has a long way to go in that sense. Yeah. I think everybody can can subscribe to that. Um, and so, as I said at the top, you know, Orca was very much kind of born bottom up from the community. I guess from within the Solana community, or was it was it kind of external to that? Can you tell us the origin stories of Orca, and I guess you know what what that tells us about the Solana ecosystem? Orca formed very organically. Um, I would say it really came from me and my co-founder, Yutaro, just hacking on side projects, actually. Originally, we were uh, coding up a, a couple of fun little things on Ethereum, uh, but that was pretty much when DeFi summer was starting to happen and the gas fees were getting really insane. At the time, we had this, this idea of really trying to help people save more money and also be able to basically you know, learn about DeFi through this sort of black boxed kind of um, protocol, which would use Aave under the hood. But that, that was also the same time where starting to deposit anything in a complex smart contract would cost $50 in ETH gas fees. So that's when Solana caught our eye as a potential layer one that didn't suffer from those types of problems and could actually scale to, to serve the masses. So could you tell us about the kind of Solana ecosystem? Obviously, there's a lot of activity happening there, you know, like any any crypto project, some criticisms, um, some teething pains. Um, you know, how is it being a builder in, in the Solana ecosystem? For me, it's been an incredibly positive experience, actually. You know, one thing that I really like about Solana is that it was founded by and very much built by people who have experience building real products that have been really battle tested. So in some ways, I feel like maybe Ethereum's community feels like there are a lot of researchers. It's very creative. And I think, you know, that's that's a great ethos as well. But Solana is very much focused on solving real problems on the technology level, but then also, you know, with things like Solana Pay, starting to think more about everyday problems. So that's an ethos that I can really buy into as someone whose whose motivation really comes from from building things that people are going to use on a practical basis. Yeah, interesting uh, to hear that kind of perspective. And so could you tell us a little bit more about Orca, what, what it is, how it functions, and some of its core innovations? I know Whirlpools are a big part of that and what I've now named Clams. <laughs> Love it. 
Yeah. So Orca is, yeah, I think we could safely say at least in the last month or so, we've been the leading DEX on the Solana blockchain. DEX, of course, is a decentralized exchange. So it's a place where anybody can come and fairly easily swap any one fungible token for any other token that's listed on Orca. So originally, our our first offering was what we call standard pools, which are for the most part constant product pools, where you know we have the x times y equals k algorithm that determines the the actual prices that people pay. And what's really beautiful about AMMs and what drew us to the concept is really that simplicity, right? They're they're pretty easy to understand, super easy for anyone to interact with, especially if you build a simple UI on top. And we're able to provide what felt like a very Web two experience using this Web3 technology early in Solana's life cycle. More recently, what we're really proud to have released and actually just went open source with this this week, as you mentioned, is Whirlpools, which is our name for concentrated liquidity pools. Because of course, once you uh, get water swirling around and concentrated, it's a whirlpool. (laughs) And what that allows with a lot of complex technical details that we probably don't have time for in this podcast, is for liquidity providers to use their liquidity in a much more concentrated and therefore much more efficient way so they can provide better prices for traders and then also earn a higher degree of fees if they're able to concentrate their liquidity in the right price range. Long story short, for for people who are really more on the swap side, it means better experience for swaps with no other changes that you need to think about. Great. Very, very clear and understandable. And so how much of what you do is only really possible on Solana? I know that these are kind of custom contracts um, specifically for the Solana virtual machine and this emphasis on security and efficiency. But how much of what you do beyond the cost benefit um, is is possible because of the Solana technology and stack? I would say the performance is what is really enabled by Solana. The fact that we can have these swaps and this incredibly efficient liquidity provision with gas fees that are still often a fraction of a cent is, is frankly incredible when you think about how much things used to cost on Ethereum. And so it's really that, that promise of scale that drew us to Solana and yeah, definitely the network has faced some some challenges lately when it comes to congestion, outages, as you implied. Uh, but while I'm not the most technical folks on our, our team who are really investigating that, the folks on our team who are more technical than I am have been looking into the solutions that they have slated and are pretty convinced that they're, they're going to be quite successful in allowing Solana to provide much better uptime and much better throughput in the future. So long story short, we're still very bullish Solana as a chain. And how do you do that feedback loop? And again, this is not unique to Solana, right? Um, there are every network has its own challenges. As a builder, you know, you're trying to build a reliable, kind of consistent product for a particular user group. But you you have all of these dependencies lower down in the stack where you can't necessarily control it. How 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 does that influence what you do as a founder, as a builder? And, you know, do does it create some kind of feedback loop where, as we've seen historically with, say, Ethereum, you know, to, for people to execute at the application layer, they're having to solve lower level kind of problems uh, to scale? Well, a lot of what we're focused on is actually abstracting away that complexity. I think you'll see that's that's a theme 
for the people who build on top of Orca. So one thing that we love to hear and that we actually do hear quite a lot is praise for our SDK. Our SDK engineers, I think, really carry that ethos of human-centered design to actual builders who are another type of human and another type of user, right? And so what we do is that we, we look very carefully at the constraints of the blockchain. We design for those particular constraints of this Solana virtual machine, which we've done, for example, by writing a more efficient 256-bit math library, which we're going to, or we have through open sourcing the smart contract made available for, for everyone in the ecosystem to benefit from and, and made those types of optimizations for efficiency so that people can use what we've built as a really effective building block for whatever it else it is that they want to do without worrying about it themselves. Right. And I know that you recently launched your version zero of your, your governance platform as well, right? So people can submit various proposals. That's correct. Yeah. I think we're, we're super excited that the bug bounty proposal from the community actually passed recently as well. So now that the smart contract is open source, there'll also be incentive for, for white ha hackers to, to make it even more secure. Very cool. So let's zoom out now. Post-Terra DeFi, where do, where do you think we are as an industry specific to DeFi, but maybe more generally in, in, in crypto? What do you think has changed or um, you know, what do you think this means for builders in DeFi for the next 12 months? Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. Well, it's definitely a time of a lot of FUD. You know, we could call it crypto winter. But I was actually just writing a tweet thread about this yesterday because, you know, to be honest, <laughs> when everyone was freaking out last week, I felt a little bit weird because... I really wasn't freaking out at all. Like I was like, yep, yeah, things have crashed. You know, a lot of people probably aren't too surprised that a bubble will eventually burst, right? Or at least, you know, that's something that we we felt like always could happen. DeFi is very cyclical. It's happened before, you know, most likely it'll happen again. But in some ways, it's actually kind of a good thing for these these protocols to be put to the test. In a bull market, you get a lot of people making some very extreme claims about what their protocols can do. And I think in the general hype, the, those claims are not always stress tested. But for DeFi to actually serve as reliable financial infrastructure for the world, it, it really needs to be stress tested and battle tested. And so I see this as as an example of that, the, the battle testing that protocols go through, some will survive. Um, and the ones that survive are generally the ones that are solving a real problem with real demand for that problem. And, and also like the technology that can actually live up to its claims, right? And so that's where, you know, I'm actually pretty excited for the future of DeFi. <laughs> Hopefully the, a lot of the protocols that are really just out there as, as cash grabs to be honest, will be will cleared out. You know, they won't have the the funding, the belief, the the strong communities to actually survive winter. And the ones that do survive will provide this even more reliable and and even more usable financial infrastructure. Yeah, and and so, what would your advice be to a founder just starting out now? So, you know, perhaps they are trying to raise their first bit of seed investment. Um, they've got perhaps an early product uh, and, you know, looking at what's going on in, in the wider market and, and are a little, a little anxious, what would be your advice to them right now? 
My advice would really be to to hone in a little bit on the the second aspect that I mentioned. So the first aspect being, is there a need? The second aspect being, is there really a strong market and market demand for that need? And the third being like real technology, right? I think a lot of builders tend to focus on the first and the third aspects like, oh, this seems like a problem and I think we can build some tech to solve it. But even if something's a need, it may not always be a strong enough need for there to be product market fit. And I, I do see this a lot where, where people don't really take time to like size the market or understand things like uh, switching costs that you have to consider when it comes to actually acquiring users and, and to hunker down and, and focus on creating this real value. If you create real value and you create the, the community and the marketing around it, then you'll be as well positioned as you possibly could be to, to survive this crypto winter. There you go. Well, Ori, I think we just have to end there. That was very eloquently put. You know, big congratulations on all the success that you're seeing. Obviously, you know, you guys emerged during DeFi summer, which was, I guess, rising out of the ashes of of like post-apocalyptic, you know, 2018. And so a great example of you know, the good that can come out of these these moments in in the, in the crypto cycle, um, and you know, I, I love your advocacy for the space. Um, you know, keep keep those Twitter storms coming and op eds. Uh, I, I think what you're saying really needs to be heard. And thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. You know, ultimately, what I'd love nothing more than to see is more people in crypto thinking about how we can design for real people. So if there's anything I can do to help that, then I've already done my job. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.